0: It's all right. Riding around in the breeze, well, it's all right. If you live the life you please, well, it's all right. Doing the best you can, well, it's all right. As long as you land a hand.
1: Welcome to the Dog Show with Julie Forbes, and we are back today with author Dr. Bernie Siegel and his new book, Love, Animals, and Miracles. Dr. Siegel, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you very much, Julie.
1: <laughs> so before we get started, I have somebody here who wants to uh, thank you. She's a big fan of yours. My wife, Darcy Boltz, when I told her that um, I was going to be interviewing you, she sort of gasped, and she has uh, followed your work for years, and uh, she just wanted to sort of acknowledge you real quick on air. So she wanted to say hi. Here's Darcy.
3: Hi, Bernie. Oh <laughs> um, well, me- This is amazing. When people say, who would you want to have lunch with? If you could have lunch with anybody on earth. And I always say, I'd love to talk to Bernie Siegel and have lunch with him. So, well, um, yeah. I mean,
2: I didn't mean to interrupt, but oh. what I find really is that How people feel about me is just because I bring out what's within them.
3: Mm, Thank you.
2: So I'm always saying, you know, there are life coaches, but you have to show up for practice. Right. So it's in you. And the other is I found after giving a lecture, I can have somebody come up and say, oh, I heard you before. That was so boring. (laughs) And the next person says, that was such an inspiration. God bless you. Thank you. You know, yeah. it's like if you and I go to the same movie, I may like it, you may not, but right. what, the difference is, as I say, what's within us. So right. bless you and thank you. Oh,
3: thank you. Yeah. I um I learned about your work um initially over ten years ago when I was attending um Bastier University in Seattle, Washington. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um and I read your book, Love, Medicine, and Miracles, and then I proceeded to read, I think, everything else you had out at the time. And when I was a teenager, I had um, a big complication from a back surgery, and I had a really hard time with the physicians. And um, as a result of one physician not believing that I was in pain, um, I almost died. And so it was um, it was just so amazing to read your work and then... Um, and then it, it was healing for me because it was like, okay, there are physicians out there who don't, um, right. who don't practice like that. And now, actually, one of my surgeons is is one of my very good friends, and I call him by his first name. And and um, and it's all it's all come around. But yeah, it was just um, you were a healing force in my life a long time ago. So
2: thank you. And now, you know, it's one of the sentences that says it so well is. Doctors are trained to treat the result, not the cause. Right. So we focus on disease and not people. And, you know, what changed me, I'm trying to write some things about my life so people know why I am, you know, not a normal doctor. Right. uh, You know, it was a patient saying to me, I need to know how to live between office visits. Right. And, you know, that solved my problem, too, because I thought, wow, if I can help people live then I haven't failed them. You know, I may not mm-hmm. cure a disease, but I'll help them live.
3: Absolutely. And of course, the
2: ultimate message is that when you help people live, they don't die when they're supposed to.
3: Right. Uh,
2: <laughs> right. I mean, I, I keep laughing because I have letters, well, especially with the dog show. This is a letter from someone who was told by her doctor, you have about two months to live. And she wrote to me because she said, this time I agree with my doctor huh. So I went out and I bought a dog and I put it in a backyard wildlife <laughs> habitat and I laughed more and I took some vitamins. And her letter goes on and on. At uh-huh. the bottom of the page it says, and I didn't die and now I'm so busy I'm killing myself. Uh- Where do I go from here? I told her to take a nap. <laughs>
3: <laughs> awesome. <laughs> but I, mean, I love those it.
2: Those are the kinds of things, you know, when you call up to ask, why didn't you call me for the funeral? And the person I thought was dead answers the phone. Right And uh, why am I calling? Because they have gone to the mountains, to the ocean. You know what I mean? I got a short time to live. I'm going to go buy a house in the mountains or, or rent a house, uh, you know, down in Florida on the ocean. And and then they're there loving their lives and uh, keep going. Yeah. And even one of our dogs, you know, the trouble is once you talk to me, I never stop telling stories. <laughs> I promise I'll pause after this one. Uh, we had a dog with a malignant melanoma, mm-hmm. and um, on his checkup at the vets, the vet said, I've never seen a dog this sick recover. We should, while you're here, let me just, you know, put him to sleep. Mm. I said, you can't do that without my telling our kids, mm-hmm. the five children. I said, I don't want to come home with a dead dog, you know, without them being <laughs> prepared for it. Right. So I called home, and the kids, I, I always hear their voice saying to me, no. You don't put your patients to sleep. You don't Mm. put Oscar to sleep. Mm -hmm. So I brought him home. And to summarize it, I shared my meals with him. I sat on the floor with him. I massaged him. I loved him. And I noticed in a couple of weeks he wasn't dead. He was walking around the house. So I thought, well, I might as well let him out with the other dogs. Right. And he lived over three years. No way. No sign of the cancer.
3: That's incredible. uh,
2: Now we're into energy and cures and... How we affect, you know, our bodies. Right. It's science, but it's things that we are now beginning to open our minds to.
3: Right. Right. Well, thank you so much. This was such a a pleasure and honor to uh, have this conversation with you. I'll let Julie uh, get to her interview. Thanks again.
2: (laughs) Okay.
1: All right. Well, you talked about. um, You talk a lot about the body mind connection. And you go, I mean, it's not even a connection. It's just that they are one in the same. Right. And, and I'm really, I mean, well, this is one of the interviews that I could, uh, you know, I could be here for a few hours, probably talking with you. Um, but we don't have that much time. I'm sure you don't have that much time. But the one, so my expertise here in Seattle is working with dog behavior and training and mm. working with dogs and people. And, Oh, really mostly teaching people how to communicate with their dogs right. uh, and kind of understanding what the dogs need from them in order to, right. you know, be the way that they want them to be or to heal or whatever.
2: Well, can I interrupt in a sense and tell you how I got into that and how I learned? Sure. Because I was a non-believer. Um, first of all, let me say that I tell a lot of parents... Uh, Bring up your child the way you would a puppy. You know, the love, the discipline. Because I found that I was more patient with our dogs. I take them to our therapy groups, cancer support groups. Mm. And one of them was quite sick at the time. Um, and he peed and pooped in the room. And I, you know, I apologized to the people. They, they weren't disturbed because they knew him. And uh, I cleaned up. But I thought later... How calm you were, how peaceful you were. Here's Buddy, you know, doing this in the room, and you're just saying, I'm going to clean up, folks, sorry. You know, I thought if it was one of the kids, I'd probably be screaming, what's wrong with you? Yeah. How can you do that? How can you embarrass me? But I think we're much more tolerant. So be as patient, well, to quote Maimonides many hundreds of years ago, if people took as good care of themselves as they do their animals, they'd suffer fewer illnesses. Mm. And from a lady in Cat Fancy magazine, uh, Doug and I now smoke in the yard. We're not killing our cats anymore. We hope you're not killing yours. Yeah. Uh, you know, the magazine didn't publish my letter saying, folks, don't you think you ought to comment on the fact that they're killing themselves? Yeah,
1: right. Yeah,
2: but they didn't. And, again, where would did we start with... Um, I forgot what the point was. <laughs> well, they're
1: talking about the body mind connection and I was talking about my experience working with people and teaching people how to communicate with their dogs, which oh, of yeah. which that, of course is nonverbal.
2: I was out in California, the ASPCA non-kill conference as one of the speakers. And when I got in the elevator there was a woman there and I just I talked to everybody. So I said, "Hi, what are you doing here?" "Oh, I'm an animal intuitive." And this was a lot of years ago, and I thought, you're a little insane. <laughs> How can you talk to an animal? Well, we got to know each other. Her name is Amelia Kincaid. And one day, somebody leaves the door open to the house, and an indoor cat that we had you know, rescued left the house. And I couldn't find it. Put food out, called its name, nothing. I figured, well, it's dead in the woods where we live. But then Amelia pops into my head, and I thought, okay, let's test her. So I email her in California. I'm in Connecticut. And I said, okay, is the cat alive? Is it dead? Where is it? Within 24 hours, I got an email describing all the other pets in the house, what the house looked like inside, outside. Uh, It was incredible, the detail that she but in the email,
0: mm-hmm. and
2: she said, the cat's alive, it's under the house.
0: Now, mm-hmm. that made
2: no sense. I mean, okay, what are you talking about under the house? But the next morning, because I got the email in the evening, I went out and called the cat's name, standing in front of the garage, and all the other pets are looking at me like I'm nuts. And I hear a meow from under a stairway off mm-hmm. the side of the house. And the stairway comes all the way down to the ground. And I realized she used it to save her life. You know what I mean? It's like she put herself in a cage so nobody could get to her. And I got her out with some food and brought her back in the house. Mm-hmm. But that blew my mind. And Amelia, another time, she was in Africa and told me where to find a cat who was hiding in the house and didn't want me to know wow. where she was. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know... But again, what was the key that has impressed me? Because it's a theme that runs through all philosophies. The quiet mind. You know, the still pond is how you see your reflection. Mm-hmm. And Amelia said to me one day, Bernie, stop screaming your animal's name. Quiet your mind. Get in your animal's head. Mm-hmm. And boy, has that worked for me in, in knowing what they're thinking. If you have time for a story or two. Um, One was with our rabbit. We had a house rabbit named Smudge. And when I would go out to get her in, this is a fenced-in yard, but I didn't want her out at night in the dark when some predator might jump over the fence. So I would go out when it was getting dark and try to bring her in. And she'd run around the yard and drive me nuts. And then I stopped one night and I thought, ask her why she's behaving like this. So in my mind I said, why are you doing this? Why can't I bring you in the house? And the answer I heard blew my mind. You don't treat the cats that way. I thought, what are you talking about? Will you let the cats stay out at night? I said, yeah, because they can protect themselves. They're different creatures than you are. So if you want you know, to survive, let me bring you in at night. From that night on, I never had a problem. Mm. It was amazing. And the other was a dog I adopted Uh, named Buddy, after I wrote a book called Buddy's Candle about a dog and his um, little boy owner who both have cancer. And I finished the book, went out of the house to walk our other dog, and heard a voice say, go to the animal shelter. I walked into the shelter. There's a dog sitting right by the door. I said, what's his name? His name is Buddy. He's been here less than 15 minutes. I said, I'm here to take him home. Mm. On the way home, he jumped out of the car when I stopped for gas, and we had a hell of a time getting him. I mean, people were stopping their cars and helping me. Um, And when I got home, again, I quieted my mind, and I said to him, why did you do that? He said, I don't want to be in cars. I belong to a couple. The husband's an alcoholic. And this is some story coming out of a dog's head. He said when the wife would tell him to take me for a walk when he got home from work, He would get in the car with me and drive to the bar, and he would drink and leave me locked in the car, and he'd abuse me. Mm. And I never want to be in a car. I said, I would never treat you that way. I'm here to take care of you. Two weeks later, I went in to stop and shop, left the dogs in the car, came back, found the side door of the car open. Accidentally, I must have hit the button when I put it in my pocket. But Buddy was sitting in an open car waiting for me, <laughs> uh-huh. laughing because the other dog wasn't there. And, but I hear Amelia, calm well, your mind. As soon as I did, I knew he was in Stop and Shop looking for me, Yeah, uh, which I thought was pretty funny, too, that he knew I was in there, had been in there. And the security guard said I, I was taking care of him. I have a dog at home, so... Yeah.
1: (laughs) Well, I think it's something that's hard to, and that's not quite, um, I'm not necessarily, I mean, I could technically call myself an animal communicator, but that's not like quote unquote, I'm more dog training and behavior and, um, coaching people, but, but it's a, it's a conversation about, uh, communication and language outside of words. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that you've said is you know, the the impact that emotion has on body chemistry and in your conversation yep. around healing, healing the body and how your emotions impact that. And I can't help but think about, you know, talking about dogs, their, uh, you know, one, their incredible sense of smell, but their ability to really read our emotions, There, it's really a, a mastery, their ability to read us, and yeah. how what it does to you—not not the sort of um, animal communication part of it, but what does it do to your whole body chemistry and body language when you stop and listen? Yeah,
2: and they, they help you to heal. Yeah, I, I've often mentioned people. We had a cat named Miracle, named after a cat who appeared in a lady's dream and told her how to treat her cancer, which worked. But As soon as one of the kids brought home a kitten, I said, okay, we'll name it Miracle. But she was so intuitive. If I were not feeling well and lay down in the bed, she would come into bed with me, sit on my chest, and really heal me. It was incredible. Because my body would change because of the love I'm getting from her and the attention. And I knew that it wasn't just my lying down, because if I you know, were tired and got into bed, taking a rest. She didn't come running in to jump on my chest, but she knew when I wasn't feeling well to come and be there for me. And uh, she was an absolutely incredible cat that I took with me everywhere. And I mean that literally. When she was a kitten, I kept her in my sleeve.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, she went everywhere. So she had no fear because she had experienced everything. Um, When I say that, I mean, she wasn't afraid of other animals, noises, sounds. And I took her to, you know, on rounds, nursing homes, all kinds, because people just loved her. Is
1: this the one you took to the dog show?
2: Yeah, I was going to say, if you had time for that that story, I would love to tell it, because in our town, they put up a sign. Uh, One of the um, veterinarians started having annual dog shows. And so when the first year the sign went up, I brought our dog, Furfy and he's named after his fur. <laughs> My wife names everybody. Mm-hmm. And, and Miracle, we walked in on leashes because a Miracle, as they say, acted like a dog. We went everywhere. She followed commands. And we just You never had to worry about her. And so we walk into the show, and they say, excuse me, it's a dog show. I said, look, she thinks she's a dog, and I'm not going to hurt her feelings. I'm entering her in the dog show. And so we walked in. They didn't know what to do with me. You know, it's like, what is this guy? Insane. But she got so much attention from not only the people, but all the dogs. You know, you would look at some of these enormous 200-pound dogs. I forgot their breeds. But would come running over and start sniffing her. And she sat there, perfectly mm-hmm. calm, no hissing, no paw, raised, just sit. And so she was the star of the show. And the next year, a sign went up that said, dog show for dogs only. Yeah. And I knew the vet was telling me, Seagull, don't you dare bring yeah. that cat again.
1: Well, I have a story for you, and I would love to hear your thoughts about uh, the ways that dogs um, mirror our emotional state, and can mm-hmm. they can be a, almost a barometer and sort of let us know, hey, you've got something you need to get some awareness about. Um, and I get, you know, I get, have the... Um, opportunity to really work with people and their dogs very intimately. I go to their homes and they tell me about their dogs, you know, started in this case, two dogs who had lived together for years and were great friends started fighting all of a sudden. And so for me, it's kind of like, okay, well, what's causing this to happen? Because this doesn't this doesn't just start for no reason. So I talked with her about her life and she told me how she and her husband had had their first child about a year ago and. She had left her career that she loved to take a 9-to-5 job that would allow her to, you know, have a schedule so that she could be with her daughter regularly and not travel a lot. And her husband kept his job, which happened to be in the same field that she had left. The house was a mess, and the toys were everywhere, and the kitchen counters were covered with food and dishes and containers. And, you know, it wasn't dirty, but it was just very disheveled. So after she filled me in about the changes in her life, I asked her how she was doing. You know, how how was she feeling? And she welled up and shared with me about how much she missed her old job. She told me how there is now tension between her and her husband and that she doesn't feel like he acknowledges what she sacrificed for their family. She also talked about how overwhelmed she felt and uh, she's working full-time, has the responsibility of her daughter and the housework and the dogs, and that she felt like she needed to be able to do it all, and that in her old career, she experienced herself as a powerhouse. She was sort of indestructible. She worked very well under stress and was able to multitask in order to present a a finished product that always left her customers totally happy, regardless of how chaotic it was behind the scenes. She never failed. And I asked her, you know, what she was passionate about and what fed her soul. And the first thing she thought of was painting and how she loved to paint and translate what she saw in the world onto paper, but that she didn't have time to paint, you know, let alone go out on a date with her husband or do anything. She was just totally overwhelmed. And it was just really clear, you know, I spent an hour and a half with her, probably two hours. And, you know, I told her that her dogs were fighting because they were responding to the tension in the house and the chronic upset and chaos and her unhappiness and her husband's as well, and I told her, you know, she's trying to do it all and like she feels like she's failing if she does if she can't do it all. And I said, you need to get a housekeeper, get a dog walker, have a babysitter come so that you got you and your husband can go out on dates, and paint. You have to find room in your life to fulfill yourself. She's busy taking care of everybody else, and you know the dogs were. I I am sure that the dogs were responding to the emotional tension and upset in the house and that was manifesting, you know, between the two of them and they were kind of blowing up into fights. So I see that um, where our animals, I mean, there's so many different dynamics and angles, how you can look at the healing, the the healing potential that our relationship with dogs brings to us.
2: Yeah, that's the key word. I was going to say that relationships. Mm-hmm. It's whether it's with dogs or with people. I mean, just as an example, women live longer than men with the same cancers. Why? They're into relationships, into you know the kids, the family, the pets. The men are into doing.
0: Mm-hmm. But
2: the married men live longer than the single men. Mm-hmm. See, with the same diseases or smoking the same amount and who gets sick, who doesn't. Mm -hmm. And studies have also shown that the survival is better in people with this study was with heart attacks, that 24% of the people who did not have a dog in the house died after a heart attack, study done in Australia after 12 months. Mm -hmm. Only 6% of the people who had a dog in the house had died after 12 months after their heart attack. And again, it isn't (laughs) that the dog growls at you if you're not exercising or eating the right food. Um, It's the relationship. It changes your body chemistry. Yeah. So all of those things are symbolic uh, in some ways, but also scientific in other ways when you study what's happening in the body.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: And, uh, you know, I've literally in the office had a lady who had 12 cats, not 12 dogs. But her family said, the house smells, we don't even visit her, we want to get rid of the cats, she has cancer. I said, no, you don't get rid of the cats. They looked at me like I'm nuts. I said, you get rid of the cats, your mother's dead. Yeah. But if you tell her I can't find a home for the 12 cats, she can't die. Right. So you have to go in and clean up. And yeah. They were a good family. They went in. You know, took care of the house, and Mama, of course, went home and kept going because I got 12 cats. Yeah. And um, you see this with the elderly in nursing homes and everywhere else. Mm -hmm. You bring a cat or a dog in and uh, give them some responsibility, too, for taking care of it. That adds to the survival. Then uh, they build up relationships and reasons to get up the next day and do something.
1: Yeah. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and then when we come back, we're going to be talking more with Dr. Bernie Siegel, and uh, he's got a new book out titled Love, Animals, and Miracles, and it is a a wonderful book with just tons of true stories that celebrate the healing bond between people and animals and even between animals and other animals, all sorts of interspecies relationships Uh, So we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. The Natural Pet Pantry is Seattle's original source for wholesome dog and cat meals, offering eight different protein options, This is Julie Forbes, dog training, behavior, and nutrition specialist and owner of Sensitive Dog
4: Wish your dog didn't hate going to the vet? Wish you were welcomed by a team who cared? Jet City Animal Clinic is an enjoyable respite from the same old thing. Dr. Anderson and her team have created a full service facility that combines veterinary expertise with a comfortable style. Jet City Animal Clinic is located in Seattle's Capitol Hill neighborhood on 12th Avenue across from Seattle U. Bring your crazy questions, odd ideas, and alternative thinking. Jet City Animal Clinic will work with you to keep your furry family members healthy and happy. Traditionally educated with an open mind, call us at 206-329-0253 or email info at com to make an appointment. Jet City Animal Clinic, a unique approach to the health care of your urban pet. A local family practice. On the AM Band at 11.50 and on the FM HD Band at 98.9 HD3. Alternative Talk, 11.50. Dogs. Little dogs, dogs, and Irish dogs.
1: Dog show. Welcome back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes, and we're back with Dr. Bernie Siegel, author and speaker, and uh, he's got a new book out titled Love, Animals, and Miracles. It's an excellent book, and we're talking about the... Uh, especially the, sort of the healing qualities of our relationship with dogs, and um, you know something in the context of you know working with dogs, and you've you've said a word a couple times that I want to ask you more about, um, given given my conversation about humans' relationship with dogs and dogs dog training and behavior, but you said. Um, internalizing anger, not expressing feelings, trying to please other people, being submissive, you are telling your body, I don't like life. And so this conversation was in the context of talking about patients uh, healing from disease. And you said, you know, there's this Monday morning phenomenon where more (laughs) heart, heart attacks, strokes, and suicides on Monday mornings, which, of course, we know, you know, you don't need to explain that one further. Right. Um, but I was really curious, and I think I heard you say this word elsewhere as well, where you talked about being submissive. And so, you know, of course, there's so many different angles. So I don't mean to overgeneralize. And so we'll get into more depth right now about what you mean by this. But in the context of this statement, you're talking about it as a sort of an unhealthy way. And you're talking about it in the uh, sort of in the sense of, patient-doctor relationship and where the patient's just feeling. But I've heard you say that word a couple of times, and I'm just curious to hear more thoughts about that. uh,
2: If any nurses who are listening tell me what you would say to this. You're asked to do a favor by a friend or a family member that you do not want to do. What do you tell that person? Now 95% of nurses say, "Oh, I would go do it." It's like the unhealthy part of their personality that led them to become nurses. Right. See, i got going to help people save every, you know, body, make them feel better and comfortable and But think about that. See, when you're saying yes to what you do not want to do, you're saying no to yourself over and over again. Mhm. And that takes its toll. So what happens? Well, if I get sick, I don't have to do it. And so illness really becomes a solution to your problem. Mm -hmm. And then people will take care of you and you'll get attention. Mm
0: -hmm. But
2: when you have the courage to say, no, I do not want to do that. Now, I'm not, you know, what I'm talking about is not denying what you want to do. If your heart says, yes, I'll change my schedule and I'll be there for you because I love you. That's fine. Yeah. But when you're feeling it out of guilt, oh, my sister called, my mother called, my, I've got to go. No, you don't have to go. You can tell them that they have to work this out, or you'll get it done on another day when you can. I always remember my sister saying to me one night when she invited me to something, and I said, no, I can't. I don't have the energy to drive, you know, two hours to get there. She said, oh, we're having a happy day, and you're not coming. Well, okay. But it's not going to be a happy day for me if I'm going to spend 4 hours in a car. Right. You know, to get there and then have to go home again. Yeah. And so I don't mind saying that. And what you learn is you become the teacher for others. Then you become a therapist because they realize, yeah, you're right. It is okay to say no. What? And
1: what is it about because of as you can probably imagine you, i see this play out in people's relationships with their dogs all the time where it's like this human phenomenon where we are uncomfortable with just you know simply saying no to things or to asserting our agenda or to setting you know healthy boundaries
2: it's how we're brought up so you talked about training. It's how you're brought up. Yeah. So as I said, the dog Buddy, yeah, he grew up with abuse. So when we saw, you know, another dog or something, he'd start barking to protect me. I mean, I knew, you know, he was putting on a performance. And the other dog would bark at him say, you don't have to bark, be quiet. I mean, it was funny, you know. And, um, but it was how they were brought up. And mm-hmm. so they're just performing. But when we're brought up with love, and self-worth, mm-hmm. then we take care of ourselves and end up being healthy. And, you know, and again, why I mentioned, like, the people who smoke outdoors, um, you know, what are you feeding your pets, see, versus what you're eating? Right. You know, exercise. Yeah, if you have a dog, you go for a walk, but would you take care of yourself if you didn't have a dog? Right. So it's, it's thinking about self-worth, self-esteem. Yeah, and the dogs display what they're feeling, too. Yeah. And, and uh, I, I literally say to people, you need to have a role model. You know, now that you've run into serious illness, other problems in life, we need a role model so you, you can perform the way you would like to. And we'll have coaches, life coaches, so, you know, or trainers, so that if you don't, we'll say, hey, you're, as one woman said, her husband had a pin with the, of the word attitude. So she would give it a spin and say, honey, you got to straighten out your attitude. Uh-huh. And so, you know, again, it's the coach who is helping us be a better person, not saying, oh, you screw up, you're a failure. No, it's right. not negative statements. It's right. that true coaching and improving. And I say yeah. to people, your role model, WWLD, and they say, what's that? I say, what would Lassie do? <laughs> so, whenever you have a problem, just ask yourself, what would Lassie do? There you go. And I don't know, are you familiar with that column that was in Ann Landers uh, back in 1999? Where it's, well, I'll just say, because I read it to people, I say, here is what I want you to do. You start the day without caffeine, get going without pep pills, resist boring and complaining to people about your troubles. Uh, face the world without lies and deceit, contention without medical help, eat the same food every day and be grateful for it. Not treat a rich friend better than a poor friend. Face the world without lies and deceit, contention without medical help. Relax without liquor and sleep without the aid of drugs, and say mm-hmm. honestly that deep in your heart you have no prejudice against race, religion, color, or politics. Then, my friends, you're almost as good as your dog. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah. You know, I had a, I had a woman, I had a really great interaction with a client uh, several years ago who had a, a a Welsh terrier puppy and he was about four months old, four and a half months old by the time that I had met her and they got him when he, her, she and her family had got him when he was eight weeks and he was starting to act aggressive uh, towards her and her family. And so she, you know, had me come in and kind of check things out and, so we started with, you know, I mean, he's a terrier, so they tend to be feisty and all that stuff. But we started working, and I started to get to know the relationship dynamic that she had with the dog, and we started just working on basic basic training and communication because that's a, a foundation and a great mm. a great way to address relationship dynamic and all that kind of stuff. And we were just working on on getting the dog to sit when she asked him to. Very simple, very straightforward, just get him to sit. So she would, you know, we taught him how to sit, made sure that he understood what the word meant and knew the concept and, you know, there's no distractions and, you know, setting him up for success. And she asked him to sit and, you know, he did it a couple times and then he got a little bit distracted by something and she asked him to sit and he just totally ignored her. And I coached her through simply just getting what she asked. You know, just staying engaged in the interaction and getting him to do what she had asked him to do because when he was kind of like, "Well, forget you, I want to go check this out." She was kind of like, "Uh, I was like, "No, just go get him, bring him back and tell him to sit and, you know, just make him do it." Um and she she sort of like stopped in the middle of our of our session and she said, "I don't assert my agenda." anywhere in my life. She says, I'm taking care of the kids. I'm taking care of my husband. I'm, I'm accommodating everybody else other than myself. And she had this like big aha in the middle of a puppy training session. I thought that was so, so cool to witness and how the dog's uh, behavior was uh, sort of an opportunity for her to look at this dynamic that she had elsewhere in her life and that she really wasn't, there was nowhere in her life that she was advocating for herself. Mm. So it's really cool to see all these different ways that dogs present these opportunities for us to kind of look, you know, gain awareness about, you know, an aspect that's lacking and to kind of, you know, make some adjustments so that we feel happier, more fulfilled. And I think, you know, coming back to what you talked about, this sort of self, self-worth self and self-esteem. And and that's like and, kind and, of the you know, root. And
2: not being afraid to ask for what you want. Yeah. I mean, when you think about a dog or even our cats, I mean, if it's mealtime, hey, they don't mind making noise and saying, hey, dumbbell, you're supposed to be feeding us now. <laughs> um, yeah. But, you know, again, It's not offending me. I can say no or I'm busy right now or wait a minute, and then, okay, they'll be patient. Right. But you're not afraid to speak up for yourself. But if you don't have self-esteem and self-worth, then you become, see, a good patient, the submissive sufferer. And you put up with abuse. You put up with medical errors. You put up with all kinds of things that could destroy your life um, because you're afraid to speak up and be authentic. Yeah. And I'd say, see, the word I use now came from a rabbi. I was reading some article, and he said the word "tov" (tov) yeah. is means good in Hebrew. But he said that the way it is in the Bible now, that word doesn't have much meaning because we use the word "good" to, you know to describe food, weather, everything. Right. Um, and so it doesn't carry that. Significance, He said it would be far better if the word were interpreted as complete. And so the truth is that other aspects of creation, all the pets, uh, animals, plants, whatever, are complete, but man is not. Mm. And the Bible says that, you know, that they should be our teachers and learn from them. Mm-hmm. Why is that of significance? Because it makes our actions meaningful, that when we do express love to somebody, they know it's coming from our choice. You know, I always say when you come home and your dog, you know, rolls over for a tummy rub and licks your face. Well, I was getting a therapy session the other day, lying on a table with my face facing the floor, you know, in that padded circle. And I'm lying there with somebody working on my back And suddenly I have a wet face, and it's our dog, Rags, who's licking my face. (laughs) And I laughed, and the fellow said, I have never in all the years I've been doing this work seen a dog do that. But it was such a loving moment, you know, that he gave to me. And I think, again, but you expect it from the dog, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, If somebody in the family comes in and gives you a big hug and says, I love you, yeah. Yeah. Uh, then you know it's their choice and where it's coming from. Yeah. I have to say, yes, I mean, I know it was Rags' choice, but still, he's a loving little dog, so okay, what do you expect? And and if I may also, why I gave him that name? I had my heart broken from a poem called Rags by Edmund Vincent Cook, C-O-O-O-K-E, which people can read on the Internet. But imagine a dog saving your life while you're in the Army. You want to adopt it and take it home with you and you discharge, but you can't find it. Oh, yeah. You get back and you go to medical school. This is why it broke my heart. It yeah. So much my life. And you come into the lab, there's a dog cut open on the table and it's rags. But what does he do before he dies? He licks your hand. And, oh, I was in tears when I read that. And the poem, of course, if there's no place in heaven for a dog like that, well, I prefer to be in hell with you know, whatever it is. And when I read that, oh, and so when I adopted this latest dog, I named him Rags because I have seen that with our animals, too. When I've taken care of them when they have wounds and injuries, um, you know, as a surgeon, I... No, I can do certain things. doesn't mean I ignore the veterinarian, but I'll get advice from them and then take care of them at home. When I hurt them, they turn their heads and lick my hand. And I know they're Mm -hmm. saying, that hurts. You're touching my wound. Be gentle. And they don't bite me. I have never had one of them try to grab a finger and bite it. Mm -hmm. They've always turned and licked my hand, and it breaks my heart to know I'm hurting them. But um, it's such a beautiful, beautiful message to human beings. That and, if I may, the message of forgiveness. Uh, I made a mistake as an owner of these pets when I didn't close a pet door after we had that house rabbit for about 10 days. And I walked out of the house, realized you didn't close it. But I thought, well, they all know each other. It should be okay. Oh, yeah. When I got home, the rabbit had been injured by the, the dog, Furfy. Yeah. And, um, but within two weeks, I went out, as I was mentioning, to bring her in the house. And I couldn't find her in the yard. Yeah. And I walked over to Furfy, and she was hiding behind him oh. <laughs> in his fur. So I wouldn't see her and bring her in the house. Oh, funny. That impressed the hell out of me. Yeah. That what he did to her, and she's now buddies with him and forgiven him, and he's her friend. Yeah. And it, if people could be like that, what a different world it would be.
1: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I'm, I'm just finishing up my first book about uh, some of the things that we've talked about today and my experience working with people and dogs and kind of the opportunity that that brings us to be, you know, to increase our self-awareness and uh, heal our relationship with our bodies. Because in order to communicate with a dog, you have to quiet down and really get in your body and, you know, all this kind of stuff. But, um, you know, one of the things that I that I talked about was... um we always hold you know dogs as this you know we marvel at their unconditional love you know dogs and their unconditional love and how powerful that is for for humans and you know, you can see how there's, this manifests in so many different ways right. where dogs are listening to kids who are, you know, struggling to learn how to read and it helps comfort. I mean, you know, I yes. could list off a hundred examples of that. Dogs and their unconditional love and, oh gosh, it's just amazing. It's just incredible. And one of the things in, in my book is that it was, I was like, well, I think parents should be that. Like that yes. That should be the, the standard of unconditional love should be from parent to child. I, I mean, I obviously love right. dogs and it's so powerful, but where is that in our parenting as well, a society?
2: Yeah, I am saying that all the time. The number one public health issue on the planet is parenting. Yeah. You see, we don't train parents. As I said, as a father of five, I know I had a hell of a lot to learn. Yeah. I and mean, I always remember our oldest son saying, how come they don't have to do what I had to do? I said, I learned it wasn't important. Um, <laughs> I mean, you see, they knew they could at least talk to me about it. Because yeah. They always say, you want to know if you're a good person, whether it's a good therapist, a veterinarian, doctor, plumber. You're criticized by the people you work with, the people you work for, and your family. Yeah. And you would say, why does that make me good? Because you're learning from your mistakes. They're coaching you. See, they're not saying you're a bum, you're a failure, you're rotten. They're saying there's a better way of doing that. Yeah. And so you say thank you and you learn. And if everybody grows up with love, we would not be reading all the headlines. And yeah. I mean that literally. Yeah. Harvard students in a study done a number of years ago were asked, did your parents love you? Those who said yes, only 24% had suffered a major illness by middle age. Those yeah. who said no, 98% had. Mm. So, again, oh, I mean, I could tell you endless stories about people in the office. You know? Yeah. Um, I must have been a failure as a child. My parents committed suicide. My parents told me that they didn't love me I should go and commit suicide. I mean, these, these are true stories. I don't make any of this up. Yeah. And, you know, and what leads to those people becoming ill is that lack of love. And... Um, I, I was born an ugly duckling. I, I won't go into the complications, but I had a sick mother who was told not to become pregnant. So uh, the stories I learned after I grew up were horrendous. Mm-hmm. But you see, I had a grandmother.
0: because mm-hmm.
2: I said to my mother when she told me what my childhood was like, because there are no pictures in our family album <laughs> portraying this you know, ugly duckling. Mm-hmm. And um, when she told me this story, I said, then why am I not a drug addict, an alcoholic, you know? She said, Oh, my mother took you and poured oil all over you and pushed everything back where it belonged.
1: Yeah, you Four said this in the book. You told the story in the book. Oh, did I? Yeah.
2: All right. Because, and then she I mean yeah, the, the I, healing... I must have been the most loved kid on the planet. Yeah. Without realizing why she was doing it. Yeah. And and what a difference it makes. And yeah. the same is even true when you pet a dog. Your oxytocin yeah. and serotonin levels go up. Yeah. and you're more likely to bond. And I often say to single women, you want to get married, get a dog first. Yeah. Take it where there are men. Yeah. And everybody talks to you and relationships are created. Yep. And you're far more likely to find a mate than if you walk around by yourself.
1: Yeah. You had told a story, you were talking about the healing, you know, the healing power of touch and love and you had told the story about a woman who um took this dog. She was sort of traveling around uh, it was one of the contributing stories in, in the book, and they took this dog, and the, you know, the guy had two dogs in the house, and she said, do you want to get the dogs? And he said, I don't care, and she found, they were able to find one of the dogs. They couldn't find the second one, brought the dog to a temporary shelter while this guy had to go wherever he had to go because they were afraid the house was going to flood or something, and the dog was just shut, totally shut down. Um, non-responsive, massively depressed, totally non-responsive. And this woman talked to him and spent time with him and took him around with her. He rode around in the golf cart with her and he just stared at the floor depressed and she kept talking to him and she, and she just involved him. And then all of a sudden, I think it was like four days later, there was some sort of celebration at, you know, at work and, All of a sudden, somebody said, oh, he's wagging his tail. And from that point on, (laughs) the dog was just nothing but wags. And it was like the, you know, it's interesting. I think um, dogs, I think that we can really experience dogs sort of as angels in our life. And I think that dogs can also experience us as angels to them. And to sort of witness that back and forth is something really special.
2: Yeah, that's why I felt that kiss, you know, by the dog when I'm lying down getting a treatment mm-hmm. was like a thanks to me, you know, that uh, and uh sharing some love with me and hoping that I would be okay and feel better and whatever. Yeah. Um that was going on. Yeah, it really touches your heart when they do things like that.
1: I think that dogs, I've said this so many times over the years on the show and with my clients, that dogs, and I think you could say animals also, don't get enough credit for their level of consciousness and awareness.
2: Mm. Yeah, I'm impressed also how they pick out family members. I mean, right now it's my wife and I. Um, with four cats and one dog. Two dogs died this year. Mm. and I, And I have to say, I keep them in my life. I bury them all around our house, mm-hmm. you know, with little monuments to them. I have to mention that to you. But it, it's just the, the, they pick out somebody in the family, and it's almost as if they know what you need and become your therapist. Yeah. And uh, it's amazing to me how, you know, one will follow my wife around. His name is Simon. Wherever she is, he wants to be with her, mm-hmm. wants to keep her company. And uh, if he sees me, he'll get out of my way. You know, oh, maybe he's going to, you know, comb my fur or take me to the vet or something. But with her, no matter what, he's with her at her side, loving her, sleeping next to her at night and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, it impresses me how they pick us and, uh, you know, others will come to me and uh, not spend much time with her. But again, I think they sense our needs and, and uh, you know, connect with, uh, with us and mm-hmm. help fill, uh, you might say, a void in our life by being there.
1: Yeah. Well, it is definitely a strong heart connection mm. among other things. And it manifests in so many wonderful ways in in our world today. And there's... Of course, as with everything, uh, a shadow side that is hard to wrap your brain around. But um, it is wonderful to witness all of the, all of the the loving ways that it manifests, and the ways that we help each other. and And I hope that as we continue to evolve, that becomes more, more and more present. So, uh, it, go well, ahead.
2: I, the word I use, if we have a moment for it, is a reverence for life. Yeah. What I found was our kids grew up in a zoo. I describe it in the. Uh, book what our house was like, acre and a half with fenced in property so all these creatures could be running loose, from ducks and goats to um you know, snakes in the house and all kinds of exotic pets that veterinarians gave us. But I realized the children had a reverence for life. They cared about every creature in the house. Yeah. And even insects would be carried out of the house. They wouldn't let me swat them. Mm-hmm. And Schweitzer put it this way because I found I was doing this for years and thank God came across the fact that he did it too and I realized I'm not crazy. You take a walk after it rains. You mm. a worm on the sidewalk. What do you do? Well, I picked them up and I put them back on the earth. Mm-hmm. I can't, I feel guilty. And I'm talking sometimes 10, 20 worms
1: yeah. where we
2: live, you know. Yeah, uh, I'm picking them up and and what did Schweitzer write about? he said, when you're out after the rain and you see a worm, pick it up and put it back on the earth, and if you see an insect in a puddle, give it a leaf to climb on yeah, and I see this in our children yeah they spend their time saving the lives of creatures they see on the street mm-hmm. um, and you don't have to worry about a child like that walking in and becoming a mass murderer in yeah place right when they're saving the lives of all kinds of creatures.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, it's uh, it's just it's so powerful, and I think you know you you talked about uh, and what a gift it is. It's a gift that keeps on giving, raising children right. with animals. And one of the things that just struck me when you were talking about that in your book, and we're talking about your new book, "Love Animals and Miracles," is um, it's not just having kids raised with. Animals, but it's how their parents role model to them how to treat them. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's sort of a an acknowledgement to you and your wife for really role modeling that to your kids about that reverence for life and uh, just so motivated. I mean, you of course have given your life to, you know, healing and and all the different forms that that can take and in a really powerful way. And that you know, passing that on to your kids is such a such an amazing gift to society, and it just brings brings us back to the importance of parenting and how, you know, yeah. it's it's huge. It's kind of everything, because everything kind of comes from, I think, our our self-esteem and self-worth and, and whether we felt loved or not as kids.
2: Absolutely. Well, I mean, um, I, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I have many quotes from people. Yeah. That are, My mother's words were eating away at me and maybe gave me cancer. Mm-hmm. You know, when you hear... I mean, think about how we care for a pet versus what this woman wrote. She said, my mother dressed me in dark clothes so that nobody would notice me. Told me I was a failure who embarrassed her. Yeah. Now, after she got cancer, you know, she went out and bought a red dress and changed her life. Yeah. But she had to be threatened, you know, have her life threatened. Yeah. To be able to stop living what her mother lived. Yeah. And I would say, don't forget, whether it's for your pets or your children, your words are hypnotic. Mm-hmm. they're embedded in their brain. So when you act a certain way, say something, you know, just your dog knows when you're upset and so does your child. Mm-hmm. And to understand and say the right things and act the right way and let them know you love them. You don't mm-hmm. have to like everything they're doing, but that you love them.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, very powerful. You're you're such a, a, a light in this world. And uh, we're talking with, Bernie Siegel and his book, Love Animals and Miracles, available anywhere you can buy books, pretty much. Is that right?
2: Yes. All right. I have to, if you have a moment for one more comment, because to the women who are married get a dog, definitely. Because my wife has this line, if I get upset or make a noise in the house, she'll say, honey, you're upsetting the pets. Yeah. And it gets me to laugh and, you know, all the troubles disappear. So yeah. get some pets in the house. And if your husband acts up, say, honey, you're upsetting the pets and then he'll be good.
1: <laughs> Quiet down. You're upsetting the pets. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks so much for your time today. And... um I just look forward to keeping uh, keeping in touch with all the work that you continue to do. Thank and you. And, again, it's Dr. Bernie Siegel and his new book, Love, Animals, and Miracles. Definitely check it out. Very inspiring and thought-provoking. Thanks so much for
2: your time today, Dr. Siegel. A, a real pleasure, Julie, just chatting with you. And Thank you. Anytime you want me back, let me know. <laughs> I will. I will. All right.
1: All right. Uh, so thanks for listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes.